Welcome. Thanks for tuning to Impact. Our mission is to love, learn, and serve. And now, here's the message. Amen. Thank you so much, praise team. You may be seated. Oh, what a blessing it is to serve our awesome God. Amen. I'm looking forward to next Sunday when we launch our our new message series. I'm calling it Faith That Works, a verse-by-verse study through one of the most practical books in the New Testament, the book of James. You won't want to miss it. It is going to be such a rich study from God's Word. And today, I'm excited about this message as well. I believe God laid this message on my heart to share with you today. Uh, we're going to turn our in our Bibles to Luke chapter 10 and look at one of the best exciting parables that Jesus ever told. Uh, probably everyone in the room is familiar with this parable. It's called the parable of the Good Samaritan. So I encourage you to pass down those message notes uh, from the edge seat to uh, those in your row. Also, pull out your Bibles, open to Luke chapter 10, verse 25. If you didn't bring a Bible with you today, I encourage you to bring it next time, uh, but you can grab one of those blue ones from the rack in front of you in the meantime. If you're using one of those blue Bibles, you'll find Luke chapter 10 on page 1028. Luke chapter 10, starting in verse 25, as we dive into this message, love your neighbor. Would you say that with me? Love your neighbor. One more time like you mean it. Love your neighbor. Here we are, Luke chapter 10, starting in verse 25. It says, On one occasion, an expert in the law stood up to test Jesus. Teacher, he asked, what must I do to inherit eternal life? Well, what is written in the law, he replied. How do you read it? He answered, Love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your strength and with all your mind and love your neighbor as yourself. You have answered correctly, Jesus said. Do this and you will live. But he wanted to justify himself, so he asked Jesus, And who is my neighbor? In reply, Jesus said, A man was going down from Jerusalem to Jericho when he fell into the hands of robbers. They stripped him of his clothes. They beat him and went away, leaving him half dead. A priest happened to be going down the same road, and when he saw the man, he passed by on the other side. A Levite, when he came to that place, saw him. He also passed by on the other side. But a Samaritan, as he traveled, came where the man was, and when he saw him, He took pity on him. He went to him and he bandaged his wounds. He poured oil and wine on them. Then he put the man on his own donkey, took him to an inn and took care of him. The next day, he took out two silver coins and gave them to the innkeeper. Look after him, he said. And when I return, I will reimburse you for any extra expense that you may have. Which of these three do you think was a neighbor to the man who fell into the hands of robbers? The expert in the law replied, the one who had mercy on him. Jesus told him, go and do likewise. May God bless us as we study his word today. Would you pray with me? Father, your son has given us this beautiful story of a man who had a very compassionate heart. Lord, I pray 
that that same kind of compassion would arise within me. That that same kind of compassion and mercy and kindness would arise within each of us here. Because you do say so clearly in this passage, go and do likewise. We pray in your name, Lord Jesus. Amen. Amen. Well, Jesus shared this story of the Good Samaritan in response to a question that was asked of him by a Jewish expert in the law. This was a Jewish legal expert. You might call him a Jewish lawyer. He was certainly a religious leader. And so he basically was an expert on the Old Testament. In, a, in particular, he was an expert on the first five books of the Old Testament, Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, and Deuteronomy. This guy knew those first five books of the Old Testament like the back of his hand. He was an expert in the Jewish law. All 613 laws of Moses, right there in the first five books of the Bible, he knew so, so well. And so this Jewish legal expert comes to Jesus one day, and according to verse 25... We're told he asked a question for a certain reason. He asked this question, what must I do to inherit eternal life? And we look at, if we look at verse 25 there, did he ask the question because he really trusted Jesus and honored Jesus and respected Jesus and wanted to glean his wisdom? No, that's not what verse 25 says, does it? Did he ask this question of Jesus because he wanted Jesus to look really good in front of the crowds? No. Look at verse 25. It says he asked this question in order to test Jesus. Since the Jewish leaders didn't like Jesus very much, it's safe to assume that this specific Jewish leader on this day wanted to ask Jesus this question in order to trap him into saying something stupid to somehow prove that he was a lousy rabbi. He wanted to trap Jesus into saying something wrong, something that was against the law. And so he smugly asked this question, uh, a teacher, a, a rabbi, what must I do to inherit eternal life? Now, I want you to think about this question. What must I do to inherit eternal life? Have you ever thought about this before? That's kind of a dumb question. Because since when do you have to do anything to inherit anything? You don't do something to inherit something, right? If you're a son or a daughter, if you're a grandson or a granddaughter, if you're written into the will, it's not because you did something. It's simply because you are family. So these are some odd words that this legal expert strings together. What must I do to inherit eternal life? And Jesus could have easily gotten into a semantic battle with him, a battle over words. But Jesus doesn't do that. Instead, Jesus does what he does so well. He responds to a critic's question with a couple questions of his own. Instead of answering the man's question right away, he asked him a couple questions. Number one, what is written in the law? And number two, how do you read it? Those are a couple good questions, don't you think? By the way, when you hear kids screaming in the hallway, it's because they're having a great time. Okay, right? They're doing sled runs in the hallway. They're having a blast back there today. So anyway, that particular child, maybe not, but most of them, yes. So what are you, what do you see written in the law? How do you read it? Jesus asked this legal expert. Jesus was giving this guy a golden opportunity to show off all that he knew. And so the guy, he, he, he bit at the bait. He couldn't resist these two questions of Jesus. So he answers back. 
Love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your strength and with all your mind. That's taken right from Deuteronomy chapter 6, verse 5. And secondly, he says, love your neighbor as yourself. Love your neighbor as yourself. That's from Leviticus 19, verse 18. Now think about this. Deuteronomy 6, verse 8. Just three verses after that verse he had just quoted, love the Lord your God with all your heart, mind, soul, and strength. Just three verses out of that, after that, in the book of Deuteronomy, guess what it says? Three verses after saying, love the Lord your God with everything within you, just three verses later, Moses tells the people of Israel, I want you to tie these as symbols on your hands and bind them on your foreheads. He said, these commands I've just given you, especially this one about loving God with all your heart, mind, soul, and strength, tie it to your wrists, tie it around your forehead. And the Jewish people we know took these words of Moses literally. And so by the time we have Jesus coming onto the scene in New Testament times, the Jewish men in Israel had this practice of taking these scriptures and writing them real small on little pieces of parchment, And then they would fold up the parchment and put them into these tiny little boxes. And those tiny little boxes, they would put string around them and tie those around their wrist or around their forehead. These little boxes were called phylacteries. And even today, Orthodox Jews, Jewish men, will wear these phylacteries. There's an example there. It looks like a miniature Abraham Lincoln hat, doesn't it? But inside that little box in his forehead would be these tiny pieces of parchment or paper that have these key scriptures written on them. So if you think about this Jewish expert coming to Jesus as having a phylactery strapped around his forehead, it makes Jesus' questions to him all the more remarkable. Because there this guy comes with his little Abraham Lincoln hat box on his forehead, and he asks the question, what must I do to inherit eternal life? And when Jesus says, well, how do you read it? Uh, What is written in the law? Jesus, in essence, was probably saying, well, tell me, which scriptures are you carrying around on your forehead there? Which scriptures you got in your little box there? And the man proudly says, well... Uh, I've got love the Lord your God with all your heart, mind, soul, and strength, and I've got love your neighbor as yourself. And how does Jesus respond? He says, exactly. You got it. You have answered correctly. Do this, and you will live. But in verse 29, we read that the man wanted to justify himself. I read that to mean the man wanted to pat himself on the back. He wanted to pat himself on the back. And so he follows up Jesus' statement by saying, and who is my neighbor? Who is my neighbor? Evidently, this legal eagle thought that Jesus was going to say, your neighbor is your next door neighbor in your upper middle class neighborhood. He's the guy I want you to love. Or maybe he thought, my neighbor, Jesus is going to say, is my fellow religious leader at the local synagogue. That's my neighbor. Never in a million years would this legal expert have thought that Jesus would identify a half-dead, beaten-up stranger on the side of the road as his neighbor. But that's exactly what Jesus does. That's the guy that he shines the spotlight on. As Jesus tells the story of the Good Samaritan, he tells the story of this man traveling on the road to Jericho, 
The good Samaritan is the only man who has compassion on this half-dead stranger. The good Samaritan's the only one who stopped to help the helpless man. Therefore, on the road to Jericho that day, the good Samaritan was the only one who truly obeyed the second commandment. The priest came down the road with his little Abraham Lincoln phylactery bouncing up and down that says, love your neighbor as yourself, and he walked by on the other side. The Levite comes with his little phylactery bouncing up and down, love your neighbor as yourself. He walks by on the other side. The Samaritan's the only one who lives out that great scripture of that day. And Jesus ends the parable by telling the Jewish leader, go and do likewise. Over the next few minutes, I'd like to share with you a couple insights from some of the great Bible teachers who have taught on this passage in ages past. The first of those insights I want to share with you is from a pastor, a preacher that you all know very well. In fact, we all just this last Monday celebrated his birthday. You may not realize this, but Martin Luther King Jr. shared a message about the Good Samaritan on April 3rd, 1968. On April 3rd, 1968, Dr. King delivered his famous, I've been to the mountaintop speech. He was at a church gathering in Memphis, Tennessee. He was there in Memphis on that particular week to help organize a peaceful march to protest the mistreatment of sanitation workers there in the city of Memphis. And as he neared the end of this speech on April 3rd, 1968, Dr. King shared a beautiful insight from the story of the Good Samaritan. And someone was wise enough to record that message that night. And so I don't need to share it in my own words. I'm going to let you hear Dr. King in his own words share this insight. One day a man came to Jesus. And he wanted to raise some questions about some vital matters of life. At points, he wanted to trick Jesus and show him that he knew a little more than Jesus knew and throw him off base. Now, that question could have easily ended up in a philosophical and theological debate. But Jesus immediately pulled that question from midair and placed it on a dangerous curve between Jerusalem and Jericho. He talked about a certain man who fell among thieves. You remember that a Levite and the priest passed by on the other side. They didn't stop to help him. Finally, a man of another race came by. He got down from his beast, decided not to be compassionate by proxy. But he got down with him, administered first aid, and helped the man in need. Jesus ended up saying this was the good man, this was the great man. Because he had the capacity to project the eye into the thou and to be concerned about his brother. Now, you know, we use our imagination a great deal to try to determine why the priest and the Levite didn't stop. The times we say they were busy going to a church meeting, an ecclesiastical gathering, and they had to get on down to Jerusalem so they wouldn't be late for their meeting. At other times, we would speculate that there was a religious law that 
one who was engaged in religious ceremonial was not to touch a human body 24 hours before the ceremony. And every now and then we began to wonder whether maybe they were not going down to Jerusalem, down to Jericho rather, to organize a Jericho Road Improvement Association. That's a possibility. Maybe they felt that it was better to deal with the problem from the causal root rather than to get bogged down with an individual effect. But I'm going to tell you what my imagination tells me. It's possible that those men were afraid. You see, the Jericho Road is a dangerous road. I remember when Mrs. King and I were first in Jerusalem. We rented a car and drove from Jerusalem down to Jericho. And as soon as we got on that road, I said to my wife, I can see why Jesus used this as the setting for his parable. It's a winding, meandering road. It's really conducive for ambushing. You start out in Jerusalem, which is about 1,200 miles, or rather 1,200 feet above sea level. And by the time you get down to Jericho, 15 or 20 minutes later, you are about 2,200 feet below sea level. That's a dangerous road. In the days of Jesus, it came to be known as the bloody paths. You know, it's possible that the priest and the Levite looked over that man on the ground and wondered if the robbers were still around. Or it's possible that they felt that the man on the ground was merely faking. And he was acting like he had been robbed and hurt in order to seize them over there, love them there for quick and easy seizure. And so the first question that the priest asked, the first question that the Levite asked was, if I stop to help this man, what will happen to me? But then the Good Samaritan came by, and he reversed the question. If I do not stop to help this man, what will happen to him? That's the question before you tonight. Not if I stop to help the sanitation workers, what will happen to my job? Not if I stop to help the sanitation workers, what will happen to all of the hours that I usually spend in my office every day and every week as a pastor? The question is not if I stop to help this man in need, what will happen to me? The question is... If I do not stop to help the sanitation workers, what will happen to them? That's the question. So if you and I are going to follow the example of Jesus Christ, we're going to follow the example of the Good Samaritan by going and doing likewise, and we have to ask the right questions. We have to ask the right questions, and I think Dr. King points out so well the first right question. Make sure you write this down on your notes because it's so important. This is so relevant for all of us because we come across people every single week who are hurting and need help. 
And so the first important question we as followers of Christ have to ask ourselves is, if I stop to help this person, not what will happen to me. The question we ask is, if I stop to help this person and don't stop, I should say, to help this person, what will happen to him? You don't ask what will happen to me. You ask what will happen to him. We'll never know this side of heaven why this priest and this Levite refused to stop and help this half-dead guy on the side of the road. Maybe they were running late for an appointment. Maybe they didn't want to become ceremonially unclean by touching a dead body. Uh, Maybe they were scared of getting mugged themselves. We don't know why they didn't stop. But this we do know. We know that they were focused on themselves. We know that they were self-centered. We know that they were me-focused. And Jesus wanted the Jewish lawyer to know and He wants you and me to know when someone around us is hurting and needs us, there was no excuse for being self-centered. There was no reason to respond in any way other than compassionate love. Because that's what Christians do. When someone needs our help, that's not the time to ask, well, if I stop to help this person, what will happen to me? It's the time to ask, if I do not help this person, what will happen to him? That's the first question that we as followers need to ask ourselves as we live in this world where we are surrounded by hurting people. The second question that Christ's followers need to ask themselves is equally important. I'd like you to consider these insightful words from a great Bible teacher and commentator by the name of Warren Wearsby. He writes, All depends on your outlook. To the thieves, this traveling Jew was a victim to exploit, so they attacked him. To the priest and Levite, he was a nuisance to avoid, so they ignored him. But to the Samaritan, he was a neighbor to love and help, so they took care of him. What Jesus says to the lawyer, he says to us, go and do likewise. I want you to think about these three different perspectives. Perspective number one, he was a victim to exploit. That was the perspective of the robbers, was it not? What about the second perspective? He was a nuisance to avoid. This was the perspective of the priest and of the Levite. And finally, the third perspective, he was a neighbor to love and help. This was obviously the perspective of the Good Samaritan. So here's the second important question that we as followers of Christ must ask ourselves as we live surrounded by hurting people. Ask yourself the question, is this person in front of me a victim to exploit, a nuisance to avoid, or a neighbor to love and help? If you are a believer and follower of Jesus Christ, guess which perspective God wants you to have? That's a real tough one, isn't it? Pretty obvious which one he wants us to have. You see, there are far too many people in this world who selfishly victimize and exploit hurting people around them. Amen? It's far too many people exploiting hurting people. But there is no place in God's kingdom for victimizing and exploiting hurting people. There are far too many people in our world today that selfishly steer clear of anyone who is hurting around them. It's none of my business. I don't want to deal with it. I've got other important things to do. I've got higher priorities. There are far too many people that avoid hurting people on purpose. But there is no place in God's kingdom for avoiding hurting people. Let's ask some real questions, some honest questions. Are 
hurting people needy? Yeah, you bet they're needy. But Jesus calls us to love and help them anyway. Are hurting people inconvenient? Absolutely. Hurting people tend to show up on your doorstep at the most inopportune time. The most inconvenient time. You're ready to do something. You've got your mindset. You've got your calendar ready to go. And someone shows up like that or gives you a call out of the blue. And you're thinking under your breath, Oh man, the last thing I want to do is have to deal with this person right now. But Jesus Christ says, love and help them anyway. Sometimes... Are needy people, ones who drain you of your time and your energy and your money? Let's be honest. Hurting people will routinely drain you of your time. They will routinely drain you of your energy. They will exhaust you. Hurting people will drain you of your money. Well, one person said amen to that. It hurts in the pocketbook when we're helping hurting people. But Jesus says to hurt, to help hurting people anyway. Love them anyway. Be a neighbor to them anyway. The half-dead man on the side of the road was really needy. Helping him was really inconvenient. And let's face it, the half-dead stranger was a big drain on the Samaritan's time and his energy and his money. But the good Samaritan helped him anyway. Why? Because that's what followers of Jesus do. That's why Jesus says to you and me, go and do likewise. Now, whenever I preach a message on this great parable, I have trouble restraining myself from sharing with you one of my favorite parts of this parable. It comes down to an individual word. Some of you may not know the New Testament was originally written in the Greek language. Literally, it was in the Koine Greek language, not the fancy classical Greek of Aristotle and Plato and Socrates. It was Koine Greek. Koine means common. It was the everyday language and even the trade language in the Greek-speaking countries. You might compare it to American English to British English. British English prides itself in being a little bit, oh, I don't know, a little haughtier maybe, uh, a little more refined, a little more... Uh, you know, a proper. The American English, we kind of talk like this, uh, according to the British folks. But that's kind of like Koine English spoken here in America. That was Koine Greek. And so the New Testament was, really, was originally written in this common language of the people in those days. And so in that original Greek language of the New Testament, that's how we get our English translations. It's translated directly from the Greek. There are thousands of words in the Greek New Testament, and there's one that's my absolute favorite. And it's used right here in Luke chapter 10, verse 33. And it's that great word, splachnitzomai. And I love sharing that word whenever I teach on this passage. It's my favorite word in the New Testament, splachnitzomai. And I know some of you want to say it with me. Go ahead, splachnitzomai. What a great word. Splachnitzomai is taken from the noun form of the word splachna. And splakla, splakna literally means guts. And so the verb form of that word splaknitsomai is translated a few different ways in different English translations. Here in the NIV, it's translated in verse 33 as took pity. In the ESV, it's translated as had compassion. 
The message translates it as, his heart went out to him. A more literal translation of that word splachnitzomai is to have a gut-wrenching compassion for someone. To have a gut-wrenching compassion for someone. So think about this hero in Jesus' story. The Good Samaritan, there he was riding his donkey down a dangerous, dry, and winding road. There he was minding his own business and and making his way to his planned destination when all of a sudden his schedule was interrupted. His routine was interrupted. And there in front of him was a complete stranger who was bloody and bruised and, and he was just completely helpless there lying in the dirt on the side of the road. And the Samaritan, when he gets down off of his donkey, realized the Samaritan wasn't a doctor. This Samaritan probably wasn't a nurse. He wasn't an EMT. This guy had never even taken a simple CPR course. But he gets down off of his donkey and he does what he could do. He may not have been a doctor. He may not have been an EMT. He may not have had a first aid kit. He didn't have any band-aids. He didn't have any neosporin. He didn't have any iodine. The only thing he had was a gut-wrenching compassion for this hurting stranger on the side of the road. And he gave him what he had. Out of a deep gut-wrenching concern and mercy and compassion for this man, he gave him what he had to offer. His time, his effort, and he ended up saving his life. Driven by his Christ-like my compassion, he didn't ask the selfish question, if I stop to help this person, what will happen to me? That's the question the priests and the Levite probably asked. If I stop to help him, what will happen to me? This Samaritan asked that godly, Christ-like question, if I do not stop to help him, what will happen to him? Drive, driven by his Christ-like splock, needs so my compassion. His perspective was not self-centered. It was other-centered. So he didn't view the helpless man as a victim to exploit. He didn't view him as a nuisance to avoid. He viewed him as a neighbor to be loved and helped. So the Samaritan acted fast, very fast. He gets down off his donkey. He doesn't waste any time arguing with himself. Well, what's the best way to help this man? I see that he has several injuries. They might be contusions, but I don't know. And what it would be that he doesn't waste his time arguing with himself. He gets down off the beast, grabs what's in his backpack, and uses whatever he has, has as quickly as he can to help the man as best he knows how. He doesn't waste time walking up and down that Jericho road, seeing if he can find someone else to help him. Because the guy, you know, he's put on a little little bit too much around the waistline. Uh, this guy that's on the side of the road, he could have st- stood to lose maybe 30, 40 pounds. And so it's a little heavy for one man to lift up on his donkey by himself. So he didn't run up and down the road looking for help. He did the best he could. And he got the man somehow up on his donkey and helped him. There were so many churchgoers on the road to Jericho that day who had the second greatest commandment in the Bible memorized. You and I have it memorized as well. It's five words. Love your neighbor as yourself. Does everybody have that memorized? Love your neighbor as yourself. If you didn't have it memorized before, you do now. It's five words. Super simple. Everyone on the road that day, on this Jewish road, had that verse memorized. And the Levite and the, and the priest and probably many others had those phylacteries hanging from their wrists or hanging from their foreheads. They were carrying the Scripture around with them. And yet they didn't stop 
and show compassion to this man. Only the good Samaritan did. Only one truly lived out that verse. Only one truly loved his neighbor. Well, as many of you know, this past Sunday, last Sunday, there was a deadly crash on the I-15 between here and Barstow. It's a deadly crash that involved two big rigs. Those two semi-trucks collided and two men died in that accident. And one of the men who was killed in that accident wasn't in either of those two trucks that were involved. He was a good Samaritan named Michael Kaiser. This last Thursday, our local newspaper, the Daily Press, have you seen one of these before? It's called a newspaper. Few of us still read them. The Daily Press had an article about Michael Kaiser, and it was entitled, He Really Was a Hero. And I want to read an excerpt from this from you. This happened just last Sunday. Michael Robert Kaiser's wife, Lori, said she's proud of her late husband, who died doing what he loved, helping people. According to his family, Michael Kaiser of Hesperia was the Good Samaritan killed last weekend in a fiery collision while rendering aid to a truck driver who had overturned his vehicle on Interstate 15 just south of Hodge Road. Previously, he had only been identified as John Doe number 2 by authorities. Michael Kaiser, 49 years old, was on his way to work at Elementus Specialties Mining Facility in Newberry Springs when he came across the crash that eventually involved two tractor trailers, according to Lori Kaiser. He always had a first aid kit and a fire extinguisher in his car and was always ready to help those in need, Lori Kaiser told the Daily Press. She said her husband's recent actions were reminiscent of the nearly 30-year-old incident that earned him the Carnegie Medal. You see, on February 25, 1990, Michael Kaiser, then 19 years old, pulled a man from a burning car that had struck a utility pole. For his actions, he was one of 17 people who was cited for heroism by the Carnegie Hero Fund Commission in 1992, according to the Associated Press. Film producer Hunter Crowder recently interviewed him for a documentary about his life. In the video filmed at Horseman Center Park in Apple Valley, Michael Kaiser choked back the tears as he described coming across the burning car and the driver almost 30 years ago. That driver was slumped over the steering wheel, and Michael said he was probably 250, maybe 275 pounds, and I probably weighed only about 140 pounds myself. On the third try, the man came flying out of the car, and I thought I was going to die. Well, this past Sunday... In a moment reminiscent of the 1999 incident, Michael Kaiser stopped his 2015 Mazda 3 on the left shoulder of northbound I-15, and he ran across the southbound lanes to help an unidentified truck driver whose tractor-trailer overturned for unknown reasons. After the crash, the tractor-trailer partially blocked the number 3 southbound lane, and while Michael Kaiser stood in the number 3 lane, a second tractor-trailer collided with the man and the first tractor-trailer. The crash pushed both vehicles off the freeway and into the open desert. Both tractor-trailers became fully engulfed in flames, resulting in the death of the first driver and Michael Kaiser, who ended up underneath the second vehicle, the CHP reported. 
Lori Kaiser said, Michael had a big heart. One Christmas morning, he got off work and went to a restaurant where he picked up the tab for some people and left the waitress a $50 tip. He came home and said that he had the best Christmas ever. Michael Kaiser was also known for helping the homeless by providing backpacks, clothing, food, and other necessities. He leaves behind his wife, two adult children, and three grandchildren. Kaiser's life was taken doing what he did best, saving lives of people he didn't know. He really was a hero. I think Michael deserves our hand this morning. What a wonderful, beautiful epitaph about a person's life. What a wonderful epitaph to have on the headstone where loved ones come to visit someday after you die. That wonderful epitaph, his life was taken doing what he did best, saving lives of people he didn't know. Now, I don't know if Michael Kaiser was a Christian or not. I really don't know, but what I can tell you is those actions of his were very, very Christ-like. He didn't ask, if I stop to help this person, what will happen to me? He asked, if I do not stop to help this person, what will happen to him? And he didn't consider the driver of that big rig to be a victim to exploit or a nuisance to avoid on his way to work. He laid down his life for a perfect stranger because he viewed him as a neighbor to be loved and to be helped. In all likelihood, loving your neighbor will not cost you your life. But even if it does, Jesus calls you and me to count the cost and take up our crosses every day and follow Him anyway. Jesus calls us, regardless of the cost, to love our neighbors. He has shined the spotlight on a good and compassionate man who put the needs of others above his own needs. And Jesus says to you and me, now that you've seen the example of the Good Samaritan, I want you to go and do likewise. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, thank you for this beautiful, powerful story about a man who in Israel would have been despised because of his ethnic background. The Samaritan man that may not have been given the time of day by most on the road that day. But this wonderful, glorious man who did exactly what you have called us to do as your followers, Lord Jesus. To count the cost. To not do what's best for me but what's best for others. Lord, it's sobering for me to realize that that message we just heard a few moments ago from Dr. King was spoken to a crowd just 24 hours before he was assassinated. Just 24 hours, Lord, before he was killed. He gave us this wonderful reminder from the Good Samaritan story that it's not about us It's about others. Lord, thank You for bringing us to this school surrounded by all these neighbors, Lord. Surrounded by 78,000 residents of Victorville. 
Thank you for bringing us here, Lord, not because of us, but because of those around us that need us to reach out to them in compassion and love and mercy. Thank you, Lord, for the opportunities you will give us even today and throughout this week to show love and mercy and compassion to those around us. I pray that you would find us faithful to be good Samaritans in our workplaces, to be good Samaritans in our neighborhoods, to be good Samaritans in our families and in our circle of friends. I pray that when people are hurting, that they can count on us. And even, Lord, when it's inconvenient in that long line at the Dollar Tree, I pray that we would be good Samaritans even there for the glory of God. Help us, Lord, to never exploit those that are hurting. Help us to never consider those who are hurting a nuisance and a waste of our time. I pray that we would consider every person you put in our path as a neighbor to love and to show kindness to. Help us to be good Samaritans. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. We hope you'll be blessed by this sermon from Impact Christian Church. Please visit our website at greaterimpact.cc 